0: Yes, welcome to Tour Talk Golf Podcast. We are back. And remember, we walk the walk. Now let's talk the talk. I am your co-host, Sean McBride, together with my wife, Maria. We share our Inside the Ropes experience on all the major golf tours. Maria, we had a nice lazy Sunday, Father's Day. It's always great sitting on the couch on a Sunday on a Father's Day just watching traditionally the US Open being (laughs) run and won and we had a great winner in Matt's Fitzpatrick.
1: We did. It was uh, actually a very good US Open, I thought. There was uh, so much drama coming down even to the to the last putt. I mean, Zelatori's putt in the end was so close to going in. So I thought it turned out to be a great US Open and a good, really exciting to watch in the end.
0: Yep, yeah, a great addition across the board. All four days were pretty equal. Some weather there through the scores um, a little bit. Topsy turvy there on day two or three, I think it was. But ultimately, those three players, Fitzpatrick, Scheffler, and Zalatoris, really with the uh, down the home stretch were putting on a great golf exhibition. Yeah. When I did watch it, I kind of felt like it was modern day golf at its best. Um, mm-hmm. it felt like the wedge game of all players and the wedge game, short game, putting was absolutely on display along with, um, Just Matt Fitzpatrick, the way he was absolutely blistering each drive, a flat-line flight, uh, hit so many fairways, and of course that unforgettable shot on the 18th hole where I think he just knew exactly what he was going to do. There wasn't much thinking about it. Him him and Billy got into that bunker, knew exactly what they were going to do, and that's that's always a great thing when the player just knows what they're going to do. The pitcher is right in front of them.
1: Yeah, even in that situation, coming down the last, he knew that it was a big chance that he's going to win if he makes a par. And that lie that he had, he had to kind of cut it a little bit from that bunker because he had, you know, obviously the, the lip in front of him. Yeah. So it was, you know, very exciting coming down to the end. And he hit, Fitzpatrick hit 17 out of 18 greens in the last round. That is impressive on the US Open course.
0: Yeah, he got um, a couple of the drives right towards the end. He got a little fortunate there. There was one particular hole where he hit, he actually hit it wider than Will Zal- Zalatoros and ended up where the gallery had trampled everything down. He hit a magnificent four-iron to about 20, 30 feet. Yeah. And there was Will Zalatoros who had only missed the fairway by about a foot and a half, uh, struggled to get to the green. So look, you make your own luck. Um, when it comes to professional golf, sometimes the wider you hit it, the better it can be because that's where the galleries have trampled everything down and you don't get any rough. So Yeah,
1: especially I think uh, in majors because of the rough, the way the rough is set up and and really thick or whatever. And obviously with uh, Fitzpatrick having Billy Foster on the bag, do you you know him? Do you know him from before? I mean, that was a great first major for Billy.
0: Yeah, so Billy's been around for, you know, 40 odd years now, professional caddying. I mean, he's caddy for some of the greats in the game. I mean, Seve Ballesteros, um, to name but one, was a a magnificent golfer that Billy caddied for back then. Billy's been around, you know, particularly when I, when I was out there, he was caddying for League Westwood. Mm. Um, you know, Billy Billy is a very, very popular guy and he's got a great sense of humour. I didn't get to spend a great deal of time with him being a European caddy. He was always back and forth between America and Europe. But yeah, um, yeah. the one time I did caddy f- with him, I think we were at, um I think it was the Wells Fargo event at Quail Hollow, great golf course, by the way, uh, up there in North Carolina. Um you know him and Lee just were in that were just in that momentum you know and you felt that as well during your career where um you're on a a decent amount of years with a with a consistent caddy and you're just going from tournament to tournament to tournament they just yeah, they were just yeah. in a rhythm um Billy was has always been successful with whatever player he's caddied for I know it really and he mentioned it yesterday in one of the interviews that when he was caddying for Thomas Bjorn and he lost the British Open right at the end there that really that really grated him, right, him for a right. while. So he's hooked up with Matt Fitzpatrick. It was just great to see the emotion of Billy also um, mm. being able to finally get uh, a major championship to his CV. So well done to Billy Foster. Yep. Um And I think he's going to be a massive influence on Matt Fitzpatrick going forward. Although... Uh, once somebody wins a major championship there's always these side stories that come out and now the journalists are picking up on all the little things that Matt Fitzpatrick has kind of been focusing on in the last few years and one of the things that was coming up was you know Matt Fitzpatrick um, lacked a little bit of distance and as much as he'd already won six or seven times around the world because he was a fantastic putter, right? right. Uh, his chipping, you're going to talk about it in a second. Yeah. But he he added in and he evolved some speed training, and now it's come out that um, he's almost he was involved with his a biomechanic and his uh, instructor, and they come up with a speed training system called the Stack. Now I'm not the too stack, sure exactly okay. what his. Uh, goals were with that, but clearly he's put on speed, um, clubhead speed. He's put on a little bit of strength, and with that, he's now started to evolve into the modern-day game because this was a guy that was quite vocal about Bryson DeChambeau kind of meat-heading it around a couple of years ago at a US Open, and he was kind of a bit backward there. He evolved, and he's uh, come up to speed, and he's got the benefits from that.
1: Mm. Well, that's good. I mean, sometimes you feel... I know even some players can actually ruin their game trying to pick up distance, Mm. trying to pick up speed. Uh, But it's great if he found something that works for him and he can still contend and be great at what he does. And obviously he has improved and now a a major champion.
0: Now, speaking of something that works for him, isn't it refreshing and great to see him also doing something that he owns, and that is cross-handed chipping, which you do not yeah. see very often. Um,
1: no, you don't. I mean, you see it with putting. Yep. And a lot of players are very comfortable with left-handed low in putting. So I I can see, and, and I know myself, I've actually sometimes practiced it that way just to feel, you know, the, the lead of the, of the left hand a little mm. bit more, but then to put it into tournament golf and that is what he does all all through his game. That is, I think, really impressive and it's good to see something different.
0: Yeah, there's a couple of a couple of advantages to chi- uh, cross-handed chipping and that is, yes, the back of the left hand leads the button of the club and the club head really well, so that's a good thing. Yeah. Um, it also shortens a bit of the, the stroke length. Mm. Um, you tend to get a little bit more restricted, so that's a good thing. So if you can match your body and arms – up together that's where uh, the chipping cross-handed actually helps a lot one thing it does do is he's identified something that he can just do um and own i think there's a couple of other examples of that over the course of uh, decades of golf there's only two other players that i've seen that were fairly successful at it and that was vj singh was a bit of a cross-handed chipper there for a while yeah and back in the day it was an australian journeyman golfer called peter senior who was um you know he had a long putter he putted a long putter and cross-handed chipper. So there right. was some some nerves and some anxieties going through that system. But you know, all credit to any professional golfer that's able to sustain a career doing something against what is the fundamentals. Because ultimately, right. they have to put bread on the table. They need to work out what can work for them.
1: Definitely, and especially in pressure situation mm. and when you're nervous or you're tight or whatever. That's what I think everybody is searching for when you're having that little moment where it doesn't feel great you need something to be able to trust
0: yeah very very important so if yeah. we look down the leaderboard um just a quick little overview you know there's a couple little notables there Matt Rory McIlroy obviously trying mm. to follow up from his Canadian Open victory yeah um I don't know Rory is just uh he seems to want to dig himself into a hole a little bit and then sort of free everything up and then he starts to play incredible golf right Yeah. he's I wouldn't be surprised, by the way, if he goes to the next and final major championship of the year and just blitzes it around St. Andrews. So, yeah,
1: he could do. I um, sure. would not
0: be surprised at that. Colin Marikawa was my pick last week. He was leading mm-hmm. after 36 holes, faded a little bit on the third day. And speaking of faded, here's a man that had a little drop-off fade in his repertoire for his first two major championships And he spoke early in the week that he's sort of lost that. And he now has to play with a little draw. So did you ever experience that in your career where you had a particular pattern of shot that you could totally trust and then for some reason that you couldn't identify, it shifted?
1: Yeah, a little bit. I think I was always a drawer of the ball. But I think um, later in my career, it actually became more of... Straight or more of a fade um, kind of shot, and I think that was a little bit of just maybe technique change a little bit, um, trying to avoid coming from inside too much. So I think that definitely was something um, I felt was, was in a way good too, because you then learn a few different shots and sometimes fade. A lot of players, as I I know, especially on the on the PJ tour they use the fade shot to be have more control and uh, more consistency.
0: Yeah, for the average Joe who might be listening to this podcast, if this podcast is even being listened to by the average Joe, but they would probably question, you know, what's the difference between a guy that's at that level being able to hit a little fade or a little draw, surely he can do whatever he likes. The difference is it can run through your whole game, and that is the first thing he's going to do is he's going to have to, first of all, think. Versus just be automatic. Yeah. And then he has to adjust his eye line. So for somebody that hit a fade for, for a long time and now mm. he's, it's just not coming out as a fade, he's setting up for his eye line to be hitting a fade, a little fade, little bleeder of fade off the tee into the greens. Um, and now it doesn't happen. And proximity to the hole in the PJ tour is one very, very key stat. As soon as you start getting outside of, you know, 10, 15, 30 feet, um, before you know it, you're not really making any great gains on the leaderboard and it, right. it can be quite an adjustment. I think he started to struggle a little bit with the lead on after 36 holes and realising the ball quite wasn't quite doing what he wanted to. No. He recovered really well in the last round but um, I've seen he was up there for quite a while but that is always an interesting dynamic is having a p- particular pattern and then it slightly changes and I think, um, I can't speak for Colin on this occasion but I remember Laura Davies, Dame Laura Davies back in the day and you were actually on the end of this uh, discovery of hers is she started to struggle a little bit with a ball flight that wasn't quite going the way it wanted to and she started to search a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, Laura never got a lesson in her whole life. So lo and behold, this advice came from her dear old, well now late mother uh, who we all enjoyed being around and she just had the nonchalant comment of saying why don't you change the shafts in your golf clubs of which laura never looked at her equipment she was just looking at well what she perceived as looking at her golf swing Um, not that she got any sort of coaching but she just thought well it must be something i'm doing yeah but you know Sometimes it can be about equipment. Lines and lofts can change, and that can slightly change the ball pattern. So she changed her shafts. This was back in a long time ago. Now she went to Rochester, won that golf tournament. You were actually second that week. Mm -hmm. Um, So it can sometimes be little equipment changes um, that starts to change the ball flight. So anyway, that was one of Colin's uh, little challenges there. I'm sure he'll go, and I think he's defending the British Open. So he'll be going and defending, I'm sure, with a lot more confidence. Yeah. A couple of other notables bit disappointing, Billy Horshaw coming off a, a good couple of weeks there uh, back in Memorial where he won,
1: mm. and
0: Victor Hovland thought he would have a better US Open.
1: Yeah, because he's so straight, so you would have thought um, that he would be up there, but US Open, though, is US Open, and anything can just come up and grab you without you even blinking. So I think, yeah, sometimes with the US Open, I don't think you can look into scores or results too much thinking, oh, he's out of form or anything like that. I think that's just a week that it's a great week, but it's a different week to any other week that they play. Um, so I think that's just one of those weeks that Hovland just wasn't on, I guess.
0: He wasn't on, but i tell you two other guys that were on and they've been on pretty much with every major played in the last few, and that's Will Zalatoris and Scotty Scheffler. Now, Scotty Mm. Scheffler, everybody's starting to get used to the fact that Scotty Scheffler is not on a run. This is not a run. This is a level of play that he is capable of sustaining. So he's number one for a reason. Um, He is incredibly good when it comes to short game, Mm. Uh, chipping, putting. He missed one putt yesterday, which I thought it was a dead certainty, which actually would have changed the outcome, I think. Yeah,
1: it was a lip out, though. It
0: was a bit of a lip out. So um, Will Zalatoris. Now this guy, somehow he keeps getting himself in the mix, and it's just going to have to be through. He keeps getting himself in the mix at most golf tournaments, in particular major championships.
1: Yeah,
0: um, he's probably weighs about a hundred pounds, ringing wet. <laughs> no. And he does remind me. I actually was sitting there yesterday. I'm thinking, who does this guy remind me? Now you're not going to remember this, and not many people would. But there was a guy in the early '90s where every time he turned into a, turned into a major championship. This guy either had the 18-hole lead, 36, 54, uh, right near the end, and he never got it done. And his name was Mike Reed. He had a very similar body type, very thin, very controlled game, always got up there, never won um, – The late Payne Stewart actually beat him in a PGA Championship and then he also came really close to the Masters. He reminds me of that guy. They actually called him Radar Reed because he was so straight. Oh, okay. Will Zalatoros, same sort of thing. Yeah. Um, The only thing quirky about Will Zalatoros really is his putting stroke.
1: It is a little bit. And apparently he gets, um, I read, he gets a lot of uh, haters on social media (laughs) Saying, you know, he's got the yips, he's got this problem, he's got that problem. But he he just keeps on doing it. And um, he said, you know, you haters can look at me and critique, but I'm up there close to winning every major. So what is the problem?
0: Well, i tell you what, I'd love to be, I'd love to have his putting stroke. Yeah, I'd love to have his problems. I know, (laughs) because it's pretty impressive to be actually getting up there every single time in a major championship. I mean, if he wins one, be fantastic. If he doesn't, Mm. so be it. But this guy is now incredibly established.
1: Yeah, Um, and it was he he came up to um, Fitzpatrick's parents after the round and said, "If it was anyone I was going to lose to, I'm so happy it was Matt Fitzpatrick, your son." So that was very great gesture
0: of him to do, I think. Yeah, yeah. So he's a quality guy. He's now come incredibly close the last two major championships and really hasn't done anything wrong. Both both times he's just been outplayed by somebody that just pulled off a shot uh, at the right time. And even his putt on the last there to tie Matt Fitzpatrick
1: yeah, was great, impressive. You know, Perfect speed,
0: just missed on the high side. Yeah. Um, so fru- frustrating as it is mm-hmm. for Will Zalatoros. This guy keeps churning, churning, and also, young guy, um, he's a great inspiration for juniors to see how the new generation can play golf, play it well, um, and be in control of pretty much everything, including his emotions, which is really impressive.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: So well done to everybody that participated in the US Open. Obviously, opposite to that, and the old LPGA can sometimes – they can't pick and choose when they have tournaments, but they had one last week. It was running up against the US Open.
1: Yeah. Did yep. you
0: see who won? Did you see what happened? Have you got any comment?
1: Uh, yes. So Jennifer Copcho won, uh, and that was actually great of her. To She was playing in the playoff against Nelly Corda mm. and Leona Maguire. Yeah. Um, so both Nelly and Leona obviously... Well, obviously, Jennifer Coppenshaw, she's had a win this year. Mm. So she's been playing very very well and very consistent. Uh, But to go up against Nelly and Leona is probably a very tough task. Uh, But unfortunately, Nelly three-putted the first playoff hole. So she was out. And then um, Leona... Uh, well, actually, Jennifer missed a two-footer to win on the first playoff hole for... Uh, did she? Yeah, she know. did, yeah. And then Leona's three-foot birdie putt in the second playoff hole lipped out to to give Jennifer the win. But that was um, a good tournament. And I Nelly keeps on impressing me too. She's four months since she had her surgery, since the mm. blood cloth, and comes straight out... Uh, and play so well, I think it's, it's just impressive. Uh, But she has worked really, really hard in the gym. So she's stronger and faster than she's ever been. So obviously that has helped too. But, um, you know, Leona shot a 65 in the last round, uh, which was great to get her into the playoff as well.
0: Now, during your LPGA career, this is going to bring back a couple of little memories you've probably put to the back of your mind, but during your LPGA career, I've seen you in a two, at least two playoffs I can remember. Uh, one was against Laura, Dame Laura Davies in Scotland, and the other one was against Nancy Scranton in Florida. Um, on both occasions, uh, probably like one or two of these girls that you mentioned here in this playoff, you did actually miss a short putt. I think I, I know the particular one in Florida against Nancy Scranton. You did. What, what's the sort of emotional, um, roller coaster after that? Because you've, you've been in, you know, you've been up there for four days or three days or four days. And you've been playing high, high level golf and then you, you've had a very successful week. And then you walk away feeling like you just, you, is your brain constantly thinking about, Oh, I've just missed a three footer or four footer or whatever it is to continue the playoff and you've missed it. Does it put a tarnish on the week or do you just have to have perspective as as the days go on and realise it was a great week?
1: I think I, I can't really remember what I thought back then, but I think also you just have to look at the opportunities you had to get into the playoff. So whether you, obviously it will always haunt you and be annoying that you missed a short part, um, losing in a playoff, but also... You know, you were in a playoff, so that is a great achievement to get in the playoff and and be able to have a chance to win the tournament. Um, I think the one that that hurt even more, you were actually canning for me in the major at mm. the McDonald's against um, Yanni Tseng, and I think that one because um, I played I played so well, and Yanni had a few great breaks. Um, on some of the, you know, we played three, four playoff holes. Mm. And so, so close to winning a major. And I think that one is is hurts a little more. It hurts others. more.
0: But I don't think in that one, um, I don't think you missed or you hit a shot that was... Um, seen as an opportunity missed
1: no no it wasn't
0: Yanni um, just hit a great shot at the right time uh, although you did hit a great putt at one particular point I'm talking about those playoffs where yeah. you do feel like you've just had a slip in it might be a slight misread and all of a sudden mm-hmm. the putt misses uh, Nelly yesterday three putting on the first playoff hole there's a pretty good chance Nelly hasn't three putted for a long time and she goes and does it in the first playoff hole so yeah yeah there's a different dynamic um in playoffs it's a kind of throw all your chips in and see what happens but you'll either at that particular point um you'll either live or die by some of the little decisions and executions you make but it is an mm-hmm. incredible different dynamic there when it comes to playoff victories win or lose how you kind of recover from that
1: yeah yeah definitely it is um so yeah yeah i mean you i think it's no I think you can be upset just right after it, but then I think you just have to, you, you go on and you think, what can I learn from it? And was it something, did I do something different? Did I rush? Did I not read it right? Did something um, disturb me? Did something happen? Or was it just, I was just nervous? I mean, sometimes you can just be nervous and miss a putt, which is very easy to do as well.
0: Yeah, I was, um, caddying-wise, I was involved with a fantastic Australian golfer, um Rachel Hetherington, uh, who went up against Annika Sorenstown quite a few times in playoffs. We actually had a a winning record against Annika in playoffs. Now, obviously, Annika was a dominant player of her her time. When Rachel uh, played her in playoffs, it was just... The one interesting thing about that is I think Annika fed a lot off of other people's emotions, whether they felt a little intimidated because obviously she's in that situation every single week, which was the reason why she's regarded as probably the most dominant and best female golfer of all time. Yeah. So yeah. she's very comfortable in that situation. Rachel also, I think, was even more comfortable than somebody like Annika in that situation. Her physical limitations she just wasn't the most naturally gifted golfer so she actually kind of got there two or three times a year when she would be deep into a tournament yeah but when she was there oh my god she was really comfortable so a lot of a lot of everything goes into a playoff there's there's some emotion there's some intimidation there's Hmm. execution there's missed shots great shots um it all goes into ultimately like anything any sport in overtime it just gets down to who's going to take the opportunity so
1: yeah, obviously yeah. on
0: this occasion it went to Jennifer and well done to her the lpgaic has a very and you mentioned this in a podcast a week or so ago it's major it seriously is major championship yes. sort of month because <laughs> they are playing the kpmg this week and yeah. before we before we talk about that you know they then they have a quick week off and they go to what is the Evian Masters, yeah, which yeah. is another major championship mm, slash question mark, um, but it's regarded as a major championship. So they've got two yeah. major championships in three weeks. Yeah,
1: they, they do. And and the week off, there's actually the uh, Scottish Open as well, uh, which a lot of, uh, you know, it's a combined event mm. with the European Tour. So a lot of girls go there and play just to get, you know, get over jet lag and all that stuff. And
0: Co-sanctioned with the LPGA?
1: Yeah. Co-sanction, okay. so it's half half a field of LET and half a field of LPGA, which is great. But yes, it's a very busy schedule for the LPGA, definitely. Um, with all these majors,
0: ultimately, when the girls make the trip across the pond, they've tried to condense the schedule a little bit for the girls. Um, you know, it's not as easy for the tours to get over there and take advantage of sponsor opportunities and mm. and contracts that the that obviously the tournaments sign up with with the LPGA. So they've got. Yeah. Uh, Scottish Open, Evian, and obviously when they're over there, they're going to try and get definitely the British Open in, which is at Muirfield this yes. year. So that will be interesting, considering it's um, never had female members in its whole existence. No, so that will no, be, interesting. be
1: very, very interesting. Got any thoughts on that one? Well, I just think it's great that the clubs are finally, well, some clubs are finally opening up a little bit mm. and realises that Women are allowed to be in clubhouses. Women can play golf on our golf courses. So I think it's so important that it opens up and gives us women as well a chance to play these uh, amazing courses.
0: Yeah, equal opportunity. Society yeah. is going that way. Golf has, it's doing its job. It's doing the best it can to try and come up to speed on a lot of things. And yeah, yeah. ultimately, when they've been, you know, some of these golf associations have been driven by uh, people with a, Sort of Titanic mentality where they just mm. you know in, well, they're it's just so old, old fashioned.
1: fashioned. Yes, old fashioned.
0: So the KPMG this week at Congressional, another great golf club up yep. in Maryland. Yeah, we have not been there. No, uh, i never did the PGA Tour event there. I haven't never done. Um, so they could either get typical summer rain and make it quite soft, or hopefully they the rain holds off and it becomes a real major championship test.
1: Yeah. But sometimes when it's soft though it makes a course longer. Mm. Um I don't know I don't know if it always benefits long hitters because sometimes long hitters um might not have as good a wedge game as the shorter hitters. So I think it's a bit of both, but sometimes it's it's fun to see um, actually to see softer courses too. It doesn't always have to be firm courses. Obviously, Muirfield, British Open, Mm. will definitely be a firm course.
0: Yeah, it will be. I think uh, the girls are in for a treat this week. They are absolutely right in the um, frame for... You know, some player is going to take advantage of a run of tournaments. Yeah. Um, and if they get on a decent run, they could also end up very quickly becoming a multiple major champion. Definitely. Now, of yeah. course, when we're talking across the pond, the men are going over there for the British Open at St. Andrews. Yeah. Um, as it gets a little closer, I want to pick your brain a little bit about your experiences of St. Andrews and, and playing golf at. Sterling. Yep. Um, yep. So I think we'll leave that. I think we'll hold off a little bit on the British Open yes. until it draws a little closer.
1: Mm, and before we get there, though, do you have a winner for the KPMG?
0: Um, well, that will depend on the weather. Uh, I'll go with Lydia Co. Okay. Um, yeah, I'll go with Lydia Co as a safe bet. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yourself? What do you uh, think? Well,. I, well, I think I'm very um, safe betting, feels like, too, with Nelly Corda mm. because she did win it last year.
0: Uh, mm.
1: Obviously, not the same course, but she did win it, and she is playing well. Um, so... I uh, have to say that. But also, Carlotta Siganda is starting to put some form together. Ooh, yes, interesting little pick there. Yeah. So uh, I will... Um, yeah, I think I have her in like a little back pocket there because she, if she gets on the run, she is a great player, um, especially a driver of the ball. So that might help on a course like this if it plays... Depending on how it plays, obviously.
0: Yeah, we. Got, I think I was... Um I was on an LPGA event about 18 months ago and I was I was on the golf course with her. She was really good. Yeah, really good driver of the golf ball actually. Mm. Um, can probably get a little slow and deliberate sometimes, so there's a yeah. little per- pressure on her all the time to kind of keep up the speed of play. Um, but I'm sure she can adapt pretty well. So. Right,
1: right.
0: Yes, that's a good pick. I like that one. Mm. So the, the girls have their major championship this week and ultimately we – Uh, looking forward to all these golf tournaments, kind of getting through to the summer. Is there anything about about the summer in America? If you can remember, cast your mind back to your playing days. Is there anything about the summer in America that changed anything towards your golf game? Did you have to change equipment? Did you have to change your mindset about different golf courses? Was there anything in particular when it came to thunderstorms and weather and anything that the little things that the junior golfers out there need to adapt as well when conditions change
1: yeah i think well especially playing in america because most almost anywhere when you play in america and you get rain you always get thunderstorms which means you getting cold off the course and you know you have to sit around and the problem a lot of times I found with that was you're out in the warmth, right? And you don't want to sit outside in the warmth. So you go inside to the AC and Mm -hmm. you get cold or you go to the car because your parents are in the car or whatever. And you can turn the car on and you can sit there and relax or even lay down. But then all of a sudden you get so cold and then you're like, oh, storm is gone. We're going up again. And then you're, you're freezing cold. So I think I found that really hard where it's like, how, how do I now get out on the course? And sometimes they don't even, especially as juniors, they might not give you the time to mm. warm up or anything. So you have to go, oh, okay, we're out playing again. And then your, your mind is not really back into, to focus. And I, I found that pretty hard. Um, just making sure you kind of stay in pace with yourself. So even if you want a little re- time to relax. Make sure you also stretch and make sure you keep yourself a little stretched out and not just completely sit still and gobble down a lot of food and then you're just stuffed when you come on the course.
0: Well, what a beautiful segue into uh, <laughs> the hurricane golf event that I was attending last week with one of my longtime students at Lake Nona here in Florida. Now this student, who shall remain nameless, um is such a nice guy him and his family yeah, fantastic yeah. he's really dedicated to wanting to be a good golfer he's only been playing for 3 years right um we're just trying to get him to break the 80 barrier so for him it's a huge a huge mental hurdle of trying to how to become a consistent 70 shooter and he had a pretty funky body pattern there for a while so we started to smooth that out we've started to increase his application to short game and putting cuz as we all know, know, really to go into that next step, that next level of being shooting in the 70s, it's not necessarily about your golf swing so much, it's more about your scoring, chipping short game. Now, this student, I will will tell you right now, for, he came to our facility at the Marriott Grand Vista, by the way, anybody looking for a great quality time with uh, our tour level experience, come and see us at the Marriott Grand Vista. He spent a great Monday there, Um, practiced really well, and we went and did a practice round at Lake Nona, did really well again. The warm-up the morning of, he did really well, and my expectations for him were always flexible because you never know what you're going to get with junior golfers. And in the conversation after the two days where he did not break 80, um, and I felt like he was probably prepared well enough and has developed enough where he could probably shoot mid-70s to high 70s. So. He shot a, a little bit more than 80 mm. and he was really disappointed. But there was a couple of things that I pointed out to him afterwards and that is his nutritional intake before the first round. Now, I went to dinner with him and his family um, and at 9.30 at night, he had a 20-pound steak and three bread rolls. <laughs> So, 20
1: ounce maybe a steak. Not what 20, did I say? 20 pounds.
0: i tell you what. It, it, it looked like 20 pounds. I can tell you what. Because the next day it looked like he was walking around with a cannonball sitting in his stomach. It must have been. I'm, I'm telling you it was 20 pounds. It was, like, it was like a fish. It just got bigger and bigger. And I said to him afterwards, I said, hey, look, I get it. You're 19. Um, you can probably digest food incredibly quickly and your metabolism is really high. But you're playing in a 100 degree heat your nutritional intake at 9.30 the night before didn't match anything compared to the preparation we put in. So you can look at, everything that his um, idols do on the PGA Tour. And one yeah. thing that doesn't really come across is nutrition, flexibility, right, right. Mm. Um, water intake, fluid intake. So yeah. trying to get this message across to junior golfers and adapting to weather conditions like you said, it runs right through the gamut from equipment to, yeah, yeah. to making sure you got plenty of towels. But ultimately mm. he he and a lot of other juniors he was playing with, they were not really adapting to the 100-degree heat Um, in regards to, to making sure their fluid intake was really good. So then when they go and drop a lot of easy shots, they look, they default straight away to technique and they don't look at all the other, other things that can influence technique.
1: Yeah, definitely. Which
0: can be what you've eaten, what you drink, Mm uh, not last night, but what are, you, what are you doing today? What are you going to be doing in another hour's time? So yeah. yeah. Um, you know, we had our challenges. You had your significant challenges as a type 1 diabetic of how much you had to monitor your nutritional balance all the time. So yeah,
1: definitely.
0: For a junior golfer, mm. a boy or girl who's out there who's looking to go through the summer this year in America and adapt to all the weather conditions, it's not mm. just about I'm going to carry an extra towel. And a little bit of water. You know, what are you drinking? What are you eating the night before? How are you recovering? Yeah, uh, it all goes into making yourself a better player because that's when those scoring barriers become more achievable. The the, the guy uh, that's not able to break into eighty can all of a sudden start shooting 75, 76, 77, and the confidence grows from there. So
1: yeah, I think that re- recovery. I think it's the biggest thing that a lot of players now really focus on, and especially with a you know with a whoop. Um, that i I wear, you can mm. see your recovery. you can feel great, but if your recovery was really low and you're sitting on a you know terrible number, it feels like you slept great, it feels like you did whatever. but if the recovery is low you you your body has not caught up to what you did the day before.
0: Yes, so um obviously we spent all our years on the pj and LPj tours. so when you ha- when you're a coach and you go back to some of these junior golf tournaments, you, re- you really have to adjust the fact that the level of maturity and professionalism is all over the place. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I found at this one, and I've been to plenty of hurricane events and will continue to be, uh, that there was a particular golf academy, um, who sh- once again shall remain nameless, that turned up, and the organisation of this golf academy was uh, less than desirable. They right. had students running everywhere, they'd completely disrespected the other students that were there. Well, not other students, other players that were there already practicing yeah, for yeah. a tournament. So um I did I did notice that where you try and get your player in a very calm, composed preparation and then it gets disrupted very quickly. And what I did uh, advise to my player was when that happens and you're practicing or preparing for a golf tournament and it gets very disrupted disruptive around you you know look at your time frame and if you can remove yourself from that situation go and practice another area of your game or preparation and then come back you're going to be much better for it so there's these little things that the junior golfers uh just not doing through maturity but then also if they're put in a situation they're not able to say i'm going to remove myself from this situation and then come back when everything's calmed down a little bit so it's always interesting going to ju- junior golf tournaments and seeing everybody wants to play at a higher level
1: yeah, yeah, yeah but
0: there's a lot of missing pieces
1: well some some are more advanced than others as yeah. well so some are can do that a lot better and some might be a very, very um, early stages of their golfing career, so it's, it's always interesting. But it's, uh, but it's fun too, though. to there work was, with There was another player.
0: There was another junior player playing with the player that I was looking at afterwards, and he was such a nice guy. And him and his uh, end up speaking to his mum a little bit uh, during the golf tournament. And this young guy played with a strong draw, and during the practice round, he got to a left-to-right hole and topped it along the ground. And I didn't have much to say to him, but we got on the putting green. and He asked my advice. He's like, what do you think happened back there on the tee? And I said, well, what do you think happened? Mm-hmm. And he started to go down the path of, well, his hip does this and his trail hip does that and this forearm does that and he gets a little bit long. And right. I let him finish. I said, what about if I told you it had nothing to do with technique? And he's looked at me. I said, listen, I said, you play with a strong right-to-left draw, which yeah. is fine. That's where you are in your development. But now you come to a strong left-to-right hole, your athletic mind is very confused on how you're going to fit your ball flight into that hole. Yeah. And yeah. you get tight and tense and your body breaks down and shuts down and then you top the ball along the ground. And mm. he kind of looked at me like I had two or three heads and I've been accused of that in the past. <laughs> but he kind of, I could see the Penny dropped and I think he spoke to his mum and his dad um, and his dad comes from an athletic coaching background as well, so they've made yeah. some contact with me in regards to trying to work with him a little bit and understanding that there's not all about technique; it's about how to manage a game. So, you know, obviously at Tour Talk, uh, we cover everything from. The holistic side but specifically when we see a junior golfer struggling a little bit we don't default straight away to technique it's all about the course management the personal management and uh, that was just a little sidebar there of junior golf so um, ultimately we've been pretty busy it's another week where we've gone around the golf circles have you got anything more you would like to add before we get to our good bad and ugly uh
1: no i don't i don't think so um it was interesting well a little bit interesting is totally out of um out of golf here but our daughter plays lacrosse and we had a lacrosse tournament this weekend mm. and it's interesting to to be involved in other sports where you have the sporting parents that uh you know coming from a professional world mm. and seeing um their you know little girls and whatever playing a sport and the parents get so involved and and so angry sometimes or upset very 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 vocal very vocal yes and it's it's always interesting to see and i'm just sitting back thinking oh wow i've i've i would never do that i Mm. get involved but i would never get vocal so it's just interesting to to see even other sports um you know when you're standing on the side listening
0: yes i find um (laughs) i do find we're probably the two quietest parents at some of these uh events for our daughter. And I think anybody involved in professional sport or any sort of sport at the highest level, whether you're, to be honest with you, whether you're an administrator, a support staff, a coach, a caddy, um, anything, I think when you come to watch your daughter, daughter or son play, um, you're seeing the game a little differently. You're seeing it through the lens of how difficult the game can be to either physically execute or mentally mature into being able to physically execute. So we are on the quieter side. There is some very vocal parents around. We obviously they're known as the tennis mum and dads, but (laughs) look, they're passionate about seeing their children play well. We can only hope that the advice to their kids is uh, constructive.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely.
0: Um, So without any further ado, is it time for the good, the bad and the ugly?
1: Yes, we are going to our little sequence here. And um, I'm going to start this week with the good. And we have kind of covered that a little bit. But it is um, Zalatorre's and Fitzpatrick's little quirky things they do on the golf course. Zalatorre's putting, um, you know, it is a little quirky, but it's very consistent. And he obviously is a great player. And Fitzpatrick's... Um, you know, left-hand low and his chipping. So that I think is very good and it's great to see. That is
0: good. They're quirky. They own it. Yeah. We covered that in yeah. regards to uh, it's a good thing to see a player have something that they own uh, because confidence comes from that a lot. So yeah, good, good. I like that one. Uh, for my good... Obviously, I had a student at Lake Nona in a hurricane event. But I had two more um, going around the traps a little bit. Uh, one is a hardworking guy who's just on his own little golf journey, and well done. He shot a to Zach Stanger shot a sixty-eight at uh, a qualifier for the Florida Open down in well, down in LPGA Daytona of all places. Yeah, um, that brings back some memories. So well done to Zach, and then also well,
1: he was a medalist.
0: He was the medalist. Yes, yes, yes uh, we should I should, that. I should point that out. He yeah. shot sixty-eight and was yeah. the medalist. So well mm-hmm. done to him. And any little bit of, um, any little bit of confidence he gets will go a long way because this guy can really putt as well. So well done to Zach. Yep.
1: Yeah.
0: Uh, another student. She's a lovely girl, Julia Camargo, who is actually a, a Juliana Camargo, who is actually a. She's going to be a sophomore at USF. Has come from. A point in her life where golf uh, really got her confidence down a lot. This is a girl that shot 64 at the age of 14, I think, and really struggled in her her adaptation across to college golf. And she went and shot 68-72 last week over at Streamsong in the Florida Women's Open and qualified fifth uh, and then got knocked out in the first match play. Um, But it's always great to see a student... You know, break through these areas. Yeah, that these was a great barriers. big so, step
1: well, for her. So, very well good. done. That was a yeah. good thing.
0: Good to see. Have you got a bad for me?
1: I do have a bad. Uh, my Tampa Bay Lightning right now is bad. Uh, yeah. They are 2 nothing down against the Colorado Avalanche mm. in the Stanley Cup. Um, they were 2 down against New York as well, Rangers. Yep. And won two. Mm. So, and who knows? But You know, Colorado looks very strong, but I don't think um, our goalie, Vasilevsky, has had his best two games. So we'll see. But I'm very excited as well that we're going to go and watch the game tonight.
0: We'll be there tonight. We'll be there live in the house. So well done um, to us. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well done to us for going because we're going to go and see, and we'll put this off the bucket list, you know, being to a Stanley Cup. Um, Gain three Back in the day Maybe they'll get their asses kicked We don't know Hopefully Well well, hopefully hopefully
1: not Hopefully they kick Because
0: that would be Go from bad to Ugly Or ugly Uh Um, My bad It's a bit of a weak one Really But Grayson Murray Last week at the US Open Mm -hmm. uh, In the space of two or three holes Threw a putter into a lake And broke an iron Yeah Um, So well done Grayson Yeah But
1: he did say I show my emotions My (laughs) colour If you don't like it I don't care yeah.
0: So. Yeah, that doesn't really endear him to sponsors and fans. But no. well done, Grayson. That is my bad because I, I can't really have a big go because I do love a big dummy spit. I I do <laughs> love seeing somebody absolutely <laughs> lose it on the golf course. And that's not that's not something I should be saying as a coach. Well Rory had some oh, at this
1: yeah. week's US Open. Rory as well, loves so. it. Rory yeah.
0: loves it. So I do love a good a good a good club break and that's mm. that goes against the grain of any good coaching. But on this occasion it was good yeah a good bad right whats your ugly
1: so talking about Rory yeah you got to point out Rory's horrendous seven years motel flower wallpaper shirt that he wore in the what? first round of the. US Open yeah. in combination with brown khaki pants yeah it was just just weird now what, it was- I, what I want to know.
0: Is when now obviously his clothing company I think is Nike.
1: Nike, yes. So they design them. They design. And, yeah. them.
0: They tell the players when what day they're going to wear them, yep. right? Yeah. Now, as a player, got the right to say that is disgusting, and I'm not going to wear it because it would actually no. affect the way you play golf. I don't.
1: I don't think so. I, I don't think they can. I mean, they can help. I think if they ask. I know, so, like Michelle Wee, I think she was involved with her designs a little bit, mm. um, and obviously Serena is. But you know, I don't think, I don't think the guys are involved in that regard. I mean, Brooks Kepka had some weird thingies on his hat as mm. well, and other players. But it was just a really weird combination, too.
0: Yeah, it looked like he'd stepped out of the '90s with uh, khaki pleated pants and an Ashworth shirt, and it. Uh, well, he obviously played well that day, but yeah. I tell you what, it did look really rank. So <laughs> um, that was an ugly. Yeah, yeah. I can tell you, uh, my ugly. Is just the continuation of the gutter journalism that they tried to do to all the players that had the pre-US Open press conferences and tried to bait them about live golf versus PGA golf. It it got ugly to the point that it just sounded really poor. And I like him or hate him, Phil Mickelson. He did the right thing. He faced up to the to the media. He was diligent in his answers. Um, he probably needs to be these days, but. I just felt like it was ugly. It's like this doesn't... It's, it's getting old. Uh, the the Live Golf Tour will live on. So yeah. get over it. Get used to it because it ain't going anywhere. And I just mm. felt that was my ugly.
1: Yeah. No, it, it isn't ugly. It just keeps on going and it's kind of enough.
0: So I'll tell you why this has been another a successful podcast is because, one, we continue to do these without killing each other. So that's a good thing.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And two... We sit in different rooms, though, but that's okay. We are sitting in different rooms as we do this. That has not been mentioned to the <laughs> listeners.
0: Well, i tell you what. It's been a, a, another good one. We've gone around the traps. We're talking about major championship golf. We're right in that window. There is more to come next week. But before we get to next week and next week's pod, Maria, can you please remind everybody, anybody that's listening?
1: Yes. We have to subscribe to our YouTube channel and follow our podcast, obviously. Uh, Spread it to your family, to your friends, to anyone, any listener. We will appreciate so much. Uh, Follow us and like our social media on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And remember...
0: No. Remember, yes. But remember, we are very available to you to give any sort of golf instruction at the Marriott Grand Vista here in Orlando, Florida. But yes, please remember... That we walk the walk. Now let's talk the talk. See you next week.